Hello and welcome to IRC Book Club, the show where every week Michael and I discuss an absolutely legendary sales or business book, deconstruct it, reconstruct it, and generally talk about it in a positive and sometimes negative way. But we give you all the information and allow you to understand exactly what's going on in the book. If you like what you're watching, please hit the like button or the share button. We'd appreciate it very, very much. Or maybe even hit the subscribe button on YouTube. That could be an interesting and novel idea. But, but if you're watching on LinkedIn, just hit that like button, hit that share button right now. So, Mike, without any further ado, let's get cracking. We're on chapter 12 of You Can't Teach Kid to Ride a Bike, a seminar by David H. Sandler. Yes, we are. How have we been getting on with this book so far? Uh, I'm getting a bit bored of it now, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be honest, uh, I mean, chapter twelve. I think, like all the chapters, there's some good stuff in it, but this chapter I felt really contradicted itself as we got through it. Actually, there have been a lot of contradictions in it. it Where I just sort of thought, "Come on!" And actually, well, let's go into it. Let's go into it. Actually, let's go into it. So the first point he, he, he talks here is: pretend you've just arrived on Times Square in New York City, in bright neon lights, right up there between the billboards of David Letterman and Rush Limbaugh, who I've never heard of, you see your own image, and the message reads, I'm financially independent and I don't need the business. I sort of quite liked that, actually. I, I, I was many years ago, somebody said to me, make every call like you're 100% target. And, and I thought that was a sentiment I quite liked. I'm less positive about that. I think it's cheesy as a tactic. Yeah, but there's nothing wrong with, with it being cheesy, as long as it works. Yeah, my objection is it's all about imagine you've got money, imagine you've got money. It, it, it's a bit. Remember that TV show, Gareth Cheeseman, Computer Salesman, with I Steve can. Coogan? He had a gold Aventis. And he stands in front of the mirror. Yeah, no, he, he, hadn't, he didn't have an Aventis. He had a Ford Probe. Oh, did he? Yes. And he, and he stands in front of the mirror and he goes, I'm a tiger. Like that. Uh, it I, was a brilliant show, that. There was also one about a Kirby vacuum salesman who had a gold car. Do you remember that? I, I think I do, yes. That, that's, that was, that's a no, that means I'm... <laughs> I, I, I think that was one of Coogan's failures. But it was the Steve Coogan show. If you've never seen Gareth Cheeseman, it is on YouTube. It it's is brilliant. It's a must-watch. Well, if you're in technology sales, it's not an option. <laughs> Stop what you're doing. Don't bring another client today. Don't dial out. Stop doing that tender. Put Gareth Cheeseman on on YouTube. It is brilliant. But that for me is a bit Gareth Cheeseman. Okay. Arr, I'm a tiger. <laughs> Arr, I'm I'm ahead of Target. I don't think it is. I think Tony Robbins would be for it. <laughs> I think Tony Robbins would do it in a slightly less gauche way. No, he wouldn't. He's six foot two, had loads of plastic surgery and got white teeth. Yeah. So the next section. Why did he do that? So the next section is uh, listen for money clues in pain. Now, I thought this was interesting, actually. Um, I'll tell you what I think is interesting about this. Uh, um, and this is the second time we've discussed this this morning because the first recording didn't work. <laughs> so sound enthusiastic, Pricey. <laughs> he goes here. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> he goes here. I'm not sure, Mr. Prospect, but I'm making a note of that right here. Uh, what I know a little bit more, when I know a little bit more, probably I'll be able to tell you. So what he's basically saying is, and I, I interpreted this as, and Mike disagreed, which is, he's saying, 
if the client's saying he's got no money, then just go home. Now you're saying he, that's not what well, he's saying. Well, you know, I, I don't think he's saying that. I, I sort of do and I don't think. I see, see what I think about 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 that is, I think that um, his point will be, and this is where it's contradictory. Is he would say that if your client's saying that they haven't got enough money to buy your product or service, then you haven't developed the pain stage of the Sandler submarine in enough detail. Yeah, okay. Because if you develop the Sandler compartment of this, uh, the Sandler, the, sorry, the pain compartment of the Sandler submarine, and you can associate your product to that pain, they'll always have enough money. But what he's right. saying is, oh, I can't find any pain, so I'm buggering off. That is just contradiction to the Sandler submarine. That's why I didn't like it. Yeah, and, and my objection with it is, um, it, as you know, I deal with a lot with people in the healthcare technology space. And the money conversation is a very different one in healthcare to that which you would ordinarily have, for example, in a normal commercial sale. Well, it's not normal, it's commercial. It's commercial versus publicly funded. Yes, but, well, and, and then there's publicly funded, and then there is even the deeper anomaly, as, as a lot of the healthcare guys will tell you, of the NHS's funding system. And if you go and see a customer in the NHS, the first thing they always tell you is, listen, I don't know why you're here, I've got no money. Yeah, I think the ones that don't sell anything tell you that. No, I know plenty of people who do sell it, sell plenty, but what they what the skill in the NHS is helping the client, and yeah, obviously, helping the client find their pain and then helping them find the money. But they'll all tell you they've got no budget because actually not many of them have. They don't actually have, a lot of the procurements aren't budgeted per se. No, no, I disagree with that. A really good mate of mine is procurement director for Leeds NHS Trust relief somebody isn't it yeah like he's a really good pal of mine i'm going cycling with him in september he tells a different story to that actually yeah but a lot of it is about helping the client find an what, roi i tell what, what i think happens and i don't know the healthcare market as well as you but i think what happens is bill bloggs who's on the other side of the camera is trying to sell to leeds nhs trust you're a clinician with a need i'm in procurement with the money yeah they ask you for the for the money that you go i ain't got any because I've got the money, so I think the the need and the the pain and the money are separated in public sector procurement. Correct, and, and this is a tactical sales book. Correct, and one of the things that concerns me about this is our audience is by and large a strategic selling audience. Correct, and this is a tactical sales book, and this is a very tactical text. And what he's saying is, you go out and you visit customer X. Well, well you he tells you he's got no well, money. We're a good prospect. You're a clinician in Leeds NHS Trust, Johnny Gravy. You go, well, I ain't got any money. All oh, right, well, and he's saying, well, then get in your car and go home. But what you're saying is that well, Bill, who's selling to you, that... should be saying, well, Johnny, somebody here has got some money to cure your pain. How do we collectively go and find it? Yes, and, a, and part of the art of selling in the healthcare space is about creating business cases so that they can then go to the next person down the, the chain and find the money. Because there is money in the healthcare. Because there's budget, there's a pot somewhere. And I'll tell you what I think the difference is in your candidates. I but don't it's know about if... creating very rich ROI-driven business well, cases. Well, that's what happens. I tell you what I think happens in your, with some of your clients and candidates is I think that they are ex-clinicians of some kind. They aren't necessarily salespeople. They then get into healthcare software sales because why wouldn't they? Because they've got deep empathy with it. They then You then go, here, have this book. It's a good one. They then read this book, they follow it to the letter, but it only addresses the tactical selling situation, and then they fail. Whereas I think what the healthcare sector ought to do is employ more ERP salespeople. Oh, God, yeah. Well, we were talking before about, uh, about this in general. 
and about in how many people truly respect the craft and what we find that you know there are different types of people that end up in sales aren't there there are some people who aren't actually by nature and by training craftsmen yes in the art well i've always been a salesman yeah you're a craftsman it's your craft it's what you do whereas there's lots of people who come in who are pre-sales guys or well they're subject matter experts yeah you know in healthcare you get an ex-nurse an ex-mental health nurse uh whatever and and it's hit or miss as to whether they become salespeople or whether they're just reps that represent the company represent the company in a highly technically knowledgeable and well-respected so this is a bit where actually sandler you've got it so wrong where he was talking about the more pain somebody is in the more you can charge for your service i just thought that was absolute and utter nonsense and i'll tell you why is I'm going to see a prospect this afternoon who I've been trying to speak to for 18 years, believe it or not. I know the prospect's been recruiting for a while. I know the prospect's in What's pain. What's he been doing for the last 17? <laughs> Calling in. Um, uh, and I know he's in pain. So according to Sandler, what I should do this afternoon is turn around to that client and say, right, it's 50%. Even though it doesn't cost me 50%. It costs me 20 to 25%. Yeah, he's saying you should fleece the guy because he's, he's in a bad way. He's saying you should rip him off because they're in loads of pain. Actually, that's nonsense. I thought, where's the integrity, Sandler? I really dislike that. And I yeah, think he's uh, got that completely There's wrong. no reason to not charge full price, but why would you charge beyond full price? Well, he's, he's saying, it's all right, there are loads of pain, take the mickey. Uh, as I think you told me this morning, Jonathan, um, your your oven blew up today, or yes, yesterday. last night. How much pain are you in? Well, when I couldn't eat my tuna pasta bake last night, did that I'd hate... Did, did you scrape it off the inside <laughs> of the oven? You sat there with a fork. Uh, I was pretty hungry, but it, the reality is, what is the pain? Well, let's look at it from, from a Sandler perspective. What's the pain for me? The pain is, one, I don't have to procure the oven. Mrs. Graham will procure the oven. But two, on Saturday, what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to mess about pulling a 500-ton oven. Well, you have to go to skip. Is this commercial, mate? Is that trade waste, mate? Uh, I'm going I'm, I'm to have to go down the... I'm going to have to go down the tip. I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to put blankets in the back of my car. Well, that'll be heavy as well. The oven will be heavy. Well, it's voluminous as well. So that's, there's and a Mrs. lot of pain. G won't be able to help you. Mrs. G's not Don't phone me. I'm not coming round. And, and, and my dad's getting on a bit for that kind of job now. Really? You should just dump it down one of your side streets in Barnsley. Fly to pit yes. in the village. <laughs> but the point is, you're in lots of pain. Yes. But the pain is quite and, and what, subtle pain, but it's pain. But what Sandler would say is he'd say, ah, right, good Jonathan. Go uh, round and fleece Johnny Graham because he's well, in a bad What saying is he says, let's develop your pain. Oh, your oven blew up. I'm sorry to hear How that. are you going to get rid of it? How are you going to get rid of it? Because what's going to how happen you go, is... How are you going to make your tea? Well, I know exactly where I'm going to be, which is Mrs. Graham is going to buy another oven and I'm going to have an oven in my garage. And you know what my garage is for. It is my gym. Exactly. And then I'm going to what, have what to step saying around is, it. And I, I mean, I go on to this and the next page, he's got his three-stage system. I just don't like it. It costs what it costs. And then further on down the line, he goes... Focus on the pain until the prospect turns critical. Then perform your miracle. Thanks, God. Uh, yeah, exactly. At that point, the prospect will pay any amount of money to get rid of the pain. Just thought, that's so cynical. Really didn't like that at all. And I know you like this chapter, but I just um, thought a I, huge I, chunk of it was absolutely rubbish. You see, I'm, 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 I'm sort of with him and I'm sort of not. In my first job out of uni, well, it wasn't my first job, but my second, my first real sales job out of uni, I was at Parcel Force, and at the time, spin selling was the training that I got and I was very lucky I went on lots of spin training of different sorts I think through Huthwaite I think it was that were delivering it at the time and in spin the whole art of it is to 
to put the client in a point where they're on their knees begging you for help. That's that's the whole idea theoretically, is to take the pain and worsen it and worsen it and worsen it in the mind of the client till he's sat there saying, look, you've got to help me out here. Now what spin doesn't teach you is to say, well, because he's in a dark place, you can fleece him. You can that's what Sandler Yeah, saying. what Sandler's saying is you've got him where you want him. You've got him by the short and curlies. It's very adversarial. And I don't think the modern selling environment works like that. I think you have to be a bit more collaborative with your client. You've got to be a bit more honest with your client. So I know you have a slightly different style to me. I drive hard on my three. Yeah, well, I'll often say, look, if you want that service, I've got to do a lot more work. Yeah, tell them what. And what if I've got, got to do a lot more work, you know, if I if it's me doing the work, my day rate is a thousand pound a day. I've got to put at least five days into it, and if it's contingency, then I've got to multiply that for the fact that there's a risk I might not fill it. And so, therefore, I explain what the costs are. Now we're lucky because we deal with very commercial people. Oh, do you know what you did? You took the words out of my mouth because I think we've got to take this chapter in context of who we deal. Yeah, with. you're going to see because you're on the road for the next couple of days, and you're going to go out on the road. And you're gonna, you're meeting MDs and CEOs. I can just say to the guy, how much budget you got? But you can also and he'll just tell me. But you can also have the honest enough conversation of saying, listen, if you were billing me on a, if I was billing you on a day rate, my time's a grand a day. Therefore, I reckon I've got to put eight grand's worth of time in this at least because I've got to work my nuts off for it. Therefore, I think the fee, even without a retainer, I'd want about twelve grand. Therefore, it's X percent. Correct. The other, the other thing that I was going to make the point of actually is. Is that when we're speaking to people that we've never spoken to before, a minute into the conversation, you can turn around uh, and you can say, "Right, what's your basic salary in OTE? And they will tell you. Yes. Now, can our clients and candidates a minute into a conversation with a prospect? Well, you, you're going to see this prospect. You're going to go and see a prospect this afternoon. How much profit the business make last year? Oh, we made two point two million last year. Now, that's public domain information. But well, it's it's more than that. It's the guy's going to go. I can pay between X and X. And I'll say, what's your basic? And he'll say, why? And I'll say, because you don't want to pay within 20% of your basics. I need to know what it is. He'll go, Because clients don't like to. He'll go, all right, it's that. Yeah. Now, actually, how often can our clients and prospects have that as a conversation with their prospects? I don't Not very think, often. I don't think as much. I don't think so. I'm off to see a guy tomorrow, Thursday, yeah, who sells, his business sells legal software, basically. A bit more than that, but it's legal software. Could he turn around to, uh, you know, managing partner of a law firm and say, and, and one minute into the conversation, say, right, how much budget you got for this? I doubt it. I think a lot of it depends on how commercial the customer is that you're selling to. Could they say it in the healthcare market? Well, no, we've had that conversation. No. You just can't have that kind of upfront, honest commercial conversation. I think people would run a mile, wouldn't they, in healthcare? Or, I, I, or, I think or, you so. know, you've got that client that does a lot of work in public sector, public sector housing, you deal with that client. Yeah, yeah, he's a top client. He's my favourite client. <laughs> I but, hope you're watching. Unless you're not, and then the one this afternoon is their conversations with their customers require. In well, many he's, res- a very, he's a very gentle. In many soul, respects, actually. require more subtlety and skill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the book goes through a load of different responses to where the person won't tell you how much money they've got. And I thought it was all very badly written scripting, really. Yeah, that the whole are you leaving money on the table? There's a, there's a couple of bits here about the script. Um, I'll go through this script and just give you my thoughts on it. Um, the first one, the first script I really disliked was, Ms. Johnson, do you have a budget set aside for your product or service? Would you mind sharing it with me in round numbers? I, I, just, dis- I just couldn't stand that. thought that was appalling. I wouldn't want to teach anybody that worked for us that. Why? It's just a closed question with another closed question on top. My other issue is it's a double question. 
Um, which of the questions are you asking? It, it, it's just a poor. I, I like technique. that one. You occasionally ask one, and the clients turn around, sort of a bit in gesture, and go, "Oh, Mike, which question would you like me to?" Answer? <laughs> I like it when they do that. It, it, it's just appalling technical sales. Yeah, rubbish. That. It's script to garbage. I wouldn't let them write me a script. Yeah, I'd rather have the Wolf of Wall Street write me. Oh, Jordan Belfort's scripts are different gravy. Miles better. Different gravy. Um, and then there's another script here. Mr. Smith, assuming we have a fit between your problem and what I'm offering, investment in my product or service is going to run between, and the whole investment in my product, I thought it was cheesy, is going to run between $750,000 and $1,000, depending on what you'll need. Is that going to be a problem? That's easy enough, isn't it? What can you do if talking about money makes you uncomfortable? And then he says, if he says here, what can you do if talking about money makes you uncomfortable? Try this approach. I put, try getting out of sales and go teach. <laughs> I just think if money make if you're in sales and talking about money makes you feel uncomfortable, you are in the wrong game. I agree. I'm sorry. What do you? I, think? I just think if if that if you're a salesperson, if you believe, if you're in the craft, I call it the craft. If you're a craftsman, if you're a a a sales pro, if you're doing this for money, and you're uncomfortable about talking about money, you are in the wrong profession. Don't try and find lines, tactics. Go, go home, go away. What do you think then when a client's opening gamut to you is how much does it cost? Uh, well, Sandler would say to reverse that, and he would say, that's a really interesting question that you've started the whole conversation with money. What's happening for you that's made you want to and, bring that up early on in the conversation? And do you agree with that? To an extent, yes, I do To actually. what extent don't you? If you've arrived at a client and you've the opening gambit of the conversation is how much does it cost, you didn't qualify the appointment before you got your car. Do you reckon? Yeah. I don't. I just think it's an indication of their buying strategy. Yeah. I think it's an indication of their buying strategy and, and partially their buying criteria that they're a price led buyer. Yeah, yeah. And it, so it might be that you didn't. But it goes back to my point, which is. If you're sat in front of a price-led buyer, should you be there anyway? In our business, we shouldn't be there. You and I, the, the, our target market. Well, our target market sells application software, and it's and it and it and it's not a price-driven sell. Correct. And the point we made earlier was we're we're placing guys on often eighty, ninety, hundred thousand pound basic salaries with three, five, ten million pound targets. If the client's worrying about a couple of thousand pound on a recruitment fee, they don't really care about the quality of service they're buying, and we're probably in the wrong place. Or they're not decision makers. Correct, which is also often an indicator, isn't it? If the opening line is... That's my point. Could you send me some... For us, the big giveaway is, can you send me some terms and conditions? As the opening gambit conversation says, I want to get the document and give it to someone else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that I'm not a decision maker. And and I was asking you questions around the edge, really, because I wondered whether... And it didn't... And it surprised me with that Sandler didn't cover this in his book, where they won't discuss money. At what point does Sandler think, ah, you won't discuss money, you're not a decision maker? Yeah, okay. You don't cover that. And that really surprised me by that. Um, and then later on, then he talks about the monkey's paw. I, I'd never heard what a monkey's paw is, actually. It's a shipping thing where they throw a little rope up. Yeah, you, every to, day's a school day, man. Yeah, yeah, know? where they throw a little rope up to pull a big rope up. And yeah. I thought, all right, no, a monkey's paw is now. I'll be talking about that knowledgeably with my shipping friends. But in terms of it as a sales strategy, I thought that this was metaphorically very similar to the puppy dog sale that now exists in the SAS environment and basically yeah. his example is air conditioning here uh or cool. giving away a 30-day trial see cool. how i did that yeah i like it um 
and for those of you who haven't read the book, which I guess a lot of you might have done, what he's talking about is, I'm going to sell an air conditioning unit that's £3 million. Um, what I can do is give you a little air conditioning unit to try it out. That's not his example, by the way. That's me right. paraphrasing what he said. Or I can do you a little bit of consultancy to design your air conditioning unit before you buy it. Um, i.e. I've got my foot through the door um, and I'm in. And i tell you who, who did this. I can't remember his name now, but I placed him. He retired now, I would have thought. He was a bit of a grumpy so-and-so, and if you're watching, you're not going to deny that. Um, I placed him at Cetus with Gary Thatcher years ago. Um, and he's, what was his name? Lives in Huddersfield, worked at uh, Concord. Krusty the Clown. What was his name? Um, I can't remember uh, the his Clown name off Brassed Off. But I tell you, yes, I know, yeah. But um, what he was very good at, he said something to me ages ago, which I just thought was 100%. It reminded me of this chapter. He sold hardware. And he said, what I like to do is just get them buying something from me so they're used to buying. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I'll sell my laptop at no no, uh, uh, no percentage. And I'll just do that a few months in, a few months out. And I'll gradually get them used to paying my invoices so I can get myself into the account. Yeah, it's a little bit like what they call the yes ladder, isn't it? So I was always taught when I first started selling, just get the customer in the habit of saying yes to Oh, you. I see what you mean. So I quite like, I thought the monkey's paw bit was, was was quite good. Well, the thing about the monkey's paw thing, and I, I wrote here, and, and I think this is where we got before the, 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 the gadget crash last time around, was in our SaaS-based world, has selling software as a service in SaaS and selling managed service has the has the has it changed the price conversation and has it de-skilled a lot of the people that we deal with in as much as if I look back to my early days of selling 97, my early days of recruitment, the candidates I was dealing with were winning large capital expenditures where companies were parting with big upfront cash. And so the salespeople had to be better equipped to make price-led conversations, whereas now I think that a lot of the salespeople that we deal with, and there is a generation of salespeople coming into the... Well, you know my theory on the on the vintage of the guys of the mid-90s selling ERP. I was yeah. Of quality. yeah, but there's now a generation of salespeople coming into the craft who've never had to get anybody to part with huge swathes of so, upfront cash. So, so what you're saying is, is as the SaaS-based environment... And this is what I'm saying is more importantly is actually customers can try the software before they buy it now. So, so more often than not. So what I think you're saying is that salespeople aren't as good now because of the SaaS-based selling environment. Well, some would argue they're different. I'm going to argue they're not quite as talented. So I think you're wrong. Go on. Because I think that when Salesforce, I mean, you can remember Salesforce. We worked at Jacko's. They came to the UK in 2003. And actually, we actually spoke to Mark Benioff. I remember the specs with his name at the top. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Handwritten job specs. Uh, Bert, my point is, when Salesforce came to the market, at that point, they'll have been competing against Siebel, I'd have thought. Um, you had Siebel selling on-premise, where they wanted a big you know, Up chunk, chunk. chunk of commission, and then you had Salesforce that would give you a 30-day trial. Yep. I think the Salesforce rep was at a distinct advantage because of that. Huge. Whereas now there's no advantage. There's no advantage because everyone does it. And actually, what selling is about is A, finding out needs and all the rest of it. But a big part of being a salesperson so what, is outwitting your competition. So what I'm saying is, because a lot of the technologies now are SaaS-based and trial-based, actually the competitive advantage that the first movers had is now nullified because everybody can do that. So actually, sales is an adversarial game. I think a lot of the textbooks, this in particular, 
says it's me versus the prospect. I disagree with that. I think it's salesperson from one company versus salesperson from another company. So I don't agree with you actually that the salespeople. Are yeah, and it. I guess there's an argument which is there's an army of salespeople all walking around with a puppy dog saying, "Do you want to do you want to adopt a puppy for this month?" Correct. And the customers will say, "I can only adopt so many bloody puppies at once." So. Yeah, correct. But getting back to to your point in his book, I I thought the concept of the monkey's paw. Well, you I, need to read it really. I thought, I thought it was good. Just want to explain what he's basically saying. is sell something little so you can sell something big. Yeah, basically, yeah. And then the bit, the other bit that I thought was really interesting in this chapter is is the bit where he talks about don't get in the way of your sale. Now, this really interested me. I'm just going to put the context on this here a bit, Mike. One of the other issues that salespeople struggle with in the budget step is the affordability of their product or service. Salespeople who sell a product or service they can't personally afford frequently have trouble talking about money. Because their product is too expensive for them, they assume it's too expensive for their prospects. Good rule of thumb to remember is this. Never look in your prospect's pocket. Don't presuppose that your product or service is expensive. If you're selling BMWs, the average price is 55 grand. Besides the company car, which costs you nothing, you own your, your spouse's 10-year-old Chevy worth a few hundred dollars. Your prospects is enough pain to move to the budget step that you show. Why? Because you think that spending 55 grand for a car is extravagant. Your customer's empathy shows all over your face and suddenly the only thing in the way making the sale is you. Now, the context of this and why I think this is really relevant is in our business, you and I have recruited people who got in the way of their sale. And we've recruited quite a few over the years. Well, they crumbled immediately. They crumbled because they weren't comfortable with, and you know, if you look at some of the recruitment decisions we've made recently, what they weren't comfortable with was a world in which people earn a £100,000 basic salary. Yes, It messed with their heads. They got in the way of the sale. That's what David Sandler said, if you can't get in the way of the sale. Well, I'm a guy. You remember Trevor Dale? He was good with Oh, I was thinking about Trevor at five o'clock this morning. Nice guy, Trevor. If you, oh, I doubt doubt very much he's watching it, but... He was from industrial recruitment. And, and sales recruitment bent his head. Yeah, properly did him it in. Bent his head. And it's not like he was a bad guy. He was a very bright man. Yeah, the technology sales market bent his brain. I can't believe it. The guy's getting £60,000 basic salary for being a salesman. But he couldn't therefore succeed in the job. Yeah, yeah. And I think that sometimes we meet candidates, and you and I often talk about a wealth thermostat. I do that a lot, yeah. I think it, I think different candidates have this wealth thermostat. I think every candidate has one. Yes. Every person has one. And often, I think that people do get in the way of their careers. Good. So you do agree with the opening statement about him being stood in Times Square? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is oh. some people get in the way of their own careers because of their wealth thermostat and their view of money itself. But don't you think that's what Sandler was saying? No, what Sandler's saying is you've got to pretend like you're you're a top guy and you're rich. But I think some people get that they get in. I think that it's a much deeper conversation about the relationship a salesperson has with money in general, as to how the relationship they have with a client when talking about money. My point, you like so chapter thirteen. You've pulled it. <laughs> so what I wrote at the at the back of chapter thirteen, I thought I'd read this out first. Is this was really boring, and I couldn't wait to finish it. I couldn't work out whether it, whether I'd got up at 5am in the morning to read it and was oh, therefore a bit sleepy or whether man. it was just dull as ditch water. Well, you know me. I'd, 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 and I'd... What, what I found with this book is you get good chapter, bad chapter, good chapter, bad chapter. And then you get what I, I think in this book there are padding chapters. So if anybody wants to read the book, drop me an email and I'll let you know what the padding chapters are so you can skip them. Oh. This one is certainly one 
uh, I didn't get a lot out I of it. I just didn't write many notes at no. all, really. I don't have much to tell you about it. I didn't. Uh, he's talking about qualification, but... Yeah, and I mean, what I've put here actually is, surely his upfront contracts would have, get rid of, would have got rid of the most of the first four pages of the book. Of the yeah, chapter. I think what he's saying is, you know, if you've got to call your quality... Don't be afraid to call the client out on, on their decision-making, i.e., if I come and see you tomorrow, will you be able to make a decision when I'm there? Well, the, the, the note I made was, this just isn't relevant to the I mean, he gave an example in. of when he went to sell sales training. And basically, his example was, listen, I'll come and do a pitch, but I'm only going to come and do the pitch if we can make a decision on the day, basically. So he did his pitch, and then there's three of them in a the room. He goes to close them. They go, oh, we need to go away and think about it. And then he turns around and, go, and, and says, well, actually, that isn't the agreement that we had. We agreed that, you know, you'd make a decision. And he said that by holding my ground and forcing the company to make a decision, they made a decision. He said in his example was that the client had written down eight things on a bit of paper, and one of the things on the bit of paper was, will this guy stick to the selling process that he's trying to sell to us? Right. And I thought, oh, that's great, but that actually only works if you're selling sales training. Oh, well, the, I made a note on page 204. It says, there's a lot of assumption in the book that it's not a strategic sale. And I think most of this chapter is relevant if what you sell is a point solution that can be sold on the day. Yeah, I mean, if you, if, you, know, if you, if you sold conservatories... Yes, absolutely. This is great, conservatories. Are you in the market for a conservatory? Yes. Have you decided how much money you've got? Yes. Great. If I come and see you, will you be able to make a decision as to whether you want to buy a conservatory off me on the day? Yes. Great. Do you want to buy the conservatory? No. Hold on a minute. I got in my car on the basis that you agreed that you'd be able to make a decision on the day. Why can't you now? What's changed? But even that doesn't work that well. No, it's aggressive and it's old school. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I just... Do you know, I sell double glazing and there was a guy called Eddie Lee who took me out on my first, um, this was when I was a student, on my first uh, training. And do you know what his tactic was? What? We got in the room. And was there's... it like White Gold? That's another TV show if you've White not Gold, seen it. Brilliant. Yeah, if brilliant, you've not so. seen it, it's a TV show about double glazing sales and it was a spin-off from the in-betweeners. Again, if you're writing a tender right now and listening to this, yeah. stop what you're doing. If you're working, just stop what you're doing and watch White Gold. It's brilliant. Hilarious. Anyways, this guy, Eddie Lee, what he would do was we'd sit. So you were you and uh, you were me, sorry, and I was Eddie Lee, and there's a, there's a couple there. And, and he had his hand like this, let me see, I said like that. And uh, he opened it subtly, and then he would start talking to them. And then after about 15 minutes, he'd look down, he'd go, oh, there's five, there's five pounds. I, I went to university in Hull. There's five pounds. Five pounds on the floor. Five. And they would go, it's not our five pounds. And he would go, it's not my five pound, is it your five pound, Mike? And I go, no, because literally I didn't know what was going on. And he'd go, must be your five pound. Anyway, back to it. And that's how he used to win their confidence. What, so they'd think he was trustworthy? Yeah. <laughs> that's not in the Sandler book. <laughs> tell you what, he sold a lot of double closing. Fair play. But I'll tell you what I did like was this bit here on the new story approach, where he's given a little list, a little checklist that I thought was pretty neat, actually, of... What does the process involve? What are the specific steps? What specifically will he or she be looking for? When does the prospect want to complete the... I, I say, that, that, laminated, stuck on the side of a monitor before you got in your car. Phew, that's gold, that. Yeah, I mean, there's some, some decent stuff. The what qualifier, gym. I, I, yeah. What I, decision-making process I thought you that was through. gold. When um, qualifier, gym. When do you see yourself moving forward? But I've got to tell you, it's so bloody obvious, really. Yeah. The who qualifier, gym, who beside yourself. Yeah, I mean, great, but 
If yeah. you didn't, if you didn't know this, and you read this book as one of my candidates, and you read that and think and said to me, "Oh, I'd never thought of that." I just think, well, who in the right man would employ? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So overall, you know. we, we've we've come up to chapter thirteen. We're pretty much getting to the end of this book now. Are we enjoying it, Mike? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it because it's a sales book and I'm a salesperson and I like selling stuff. Okay. So I, and I, I want to say I like selling stuff. I mean, I like the things that are involved in selling, the process and all the rest of it. So, so I am enjoying it. And whilst I've been a bit critical of it, it's a pretty decent book. You can't really disagree with that much of it. I don't like him because he's really cynical and he says buyers are liars and all that stuff. And I just don't agree with that at all. I think he contradicts himself, but then... You, you know, that's that's nature. I'm sure we all contradict ourselves a little bit. Um, I, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, how does it compare against Jordan Belfort? I actually preferred the Belfort book because I prefer Jordan Belfort. But if I think about the actual stuff in the book, and if somebody said to me, which should I, you know, I'm, I'm 21 years old, I'm going to be a salesperson, which should I read? Should I read Belfort or should I read, you can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar? I'd choose this one, actually. Okay, yeah. So we're coming. In, we're, we're coming into the last couple of chapters now, aren't we? Oh, good. Yeah, uh, 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 we've got literally one more episode to talk about here, um, which will involve chapters fourteen and fifteen, and then we are on Is to not the next 16? book. I know that's the end of it. For no, there's, 15, there's, right? there's case studies and appendices. Oh, brilliant. So I was just flicking through that whilst you were yabbering about what you thought about the book. Um, so. <laughs> um, we will be done with this in a week's time and we will be moving on to the effective executive. Loved your picture on LinkedIn. Oh, I, yeah, I'm really looking forward. Did you for do it on purpose? Were you... Lauren, if you're watching this, we're really looking forward to you coming next week because my attempt at creating that thumbnail on LinkedIn whew, was pretty poor. Um, so uh, our production quality should be up this time next week, or, or we'll be well, on What's frightening is we've got a very young person starting with us. I'm sure people are going to think she's on YTA. Well, probably not, just me. No, Because so she's 22. Yes, a very bright young person who's coming to join us next week who will be helping us out with the Stuff Like Book Club. So um, that's going to be great because it will mean that the production will be even better still for you avid listeners and viewers at home. So quick reminder, we're on The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker. Um, Peter Drucker, uh, any of you that went to business school will know, is a legendary business thinker and author. Uh, it'll be a different book. It's not a sales book. This is a book about being personally effective. And I think w w I'd like to lay off sales books for probably at least the next two or three before we come back to one. I'm a bit sales techniqued out here now. And I think we maybe go for a productivity book in effective executive and then maybe something a bit more esoteric and then maybe come back to a sales book again. Um, but for now, we're on The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker. So go out, go to the shops, buy it, get reading. It looks cheap. What do you mean it looks cheap? Literally, it looks like he's printed it at home. Well, it's just the printing and the, well, it's, it's old. looks old, actually. It's old IP, isn't it? So I've no idea. I've never heard it, of it before. It'll be a reprint of a reprint of a reprint. Yeah, business school stuff, Peter Drucker. Very uh, famous business studies, marketing degree thinker. You quote Drucker in your exams at, at business school. Okay. So, should be interesting. Apparently a seminal work on uh, personal productivity. So, get reading. We will be starting, not next Friday, because we'll be finishing off You Can't Teach Your Kids to Ride a Bike at a seminar, but the Friday after we will be on the first couple of chapters. It's a thin book, so I reckon we'll be done with it within probably 
I haven't looked at how many chapters, but I reckon we'll be done with it in a couple of weeks. Depends how big the writing is. It's big letters, I've looked. Right, good. Right, great. So this has been a recording today because Mike's on the road. I hope you all have a lovely weekend. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>